Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. In this episode, part three of Pastor Rob's series on destructive decisions continues with three biblical keys to restraining the anger we all feel from time to time with his sermon titled, Unrestrained Anger. And here is Pastor Rob. How can we restrain our unrestrained anger? Because, you know, unrestrained anger can lead to moral failures. We've been talking about moral failures for several weeks now. What is a moral failure? Uh, A moral failure involves us making destructive decisions. We do something that we are strongly expected not to do, or we don't do something that we are strongly expected to do. Now, these moral failures tend to happen, these destructive decisions tend to happen in our lives for reasons. They have root causes. Sometimes the cause is that we're bored and we are off of God's purpose in our lives. Sometimes it happens because we feel that we are entitled and that our desires are undisciplined as a result. But when we have these destructive decisions, when we make them, they lead to life-altering consequences. We can lose everything in the process. Now, moral failures remind me of the fact that Samson's life can be described in some ways as being like a bomb that's gone off. I've told you before that last week that the life of Samson, the judge in the Old Testament during the period of time before the kings of Israel, reminds me a bit of Wiley Coyote. And he reminds me of Wiley Coyote because Wiley Coyote is constantly trying to catch Roadrunner, but he has to hatch all these plans to catch the Roadrunner. And a lot of these plans involve explosives, bombs, pieces of dynamite. But you know that every time Wiley Coyote lights a piece of dynamite, that stick of dynamite is going to blow up in his own hand. And Samson is a bit like that. Samson lives an explosive life. He faces explosive consequences and one warning sign after another. Moral failure in many ways is like a bomb, like a piece of dynamite going off in our hands. Now, sometimes, though, explosions that happen in our lives, particularly from destructive decisions, can be much larger than we expect. Now, it reminds me of the fact that the explosion in Beirut in August of 2020 was much bigger than anyone had expected. You see, in the port of Beirut, they were storing a large quantity of ammonium nitrate. Now, ammonium nitrate has some productive uses. It can be used as a fertilizer. It can be used for some legitimate reasons for for creating explosions. And when treated well, it can be stored safely. And the ammonium nitrate stored in mass quantities in the port of Beirut in a warehouse was stored safely for six years. But then something happened. There was a fire in the warehouse. The fire caused an explosion. The first explosion caused a second and much more massive explosion. And that explosion ripped apart a large portion of the city and killed hundreds. The blast could be felt as far away as Cyprus. 
You see, the explosion to hit Beirut in August of 2020 was much more like a small atomic bomb. It's one of the most large explosive events that's been non-nuclear that ever happened on our planet. I don't think anybody ever expected that. But sometimes explosions are much bigger than we expect. And sometimes unrestrained anger explodes in our lives in far bigger ways than we ever expect. Because you see, unrestrained anger happens when anger takes root in our lives and begins to spiral out of control. Our actions and our attitudes escalate until we get to the place where we are making destructive decisions that hurt ourselves. Those destructive decisions hurt the people we intended for them to hurt at times. And sometimes those destructive decisions hurt people we never intended to hurt. They're collateral damage. Now, when we make these explosive decisions as a result of our unrestrained anger, they can cost us everything. Like any moral failure, they can cost us our job, our friends, our spouse, our family. And in addition, the explosions that happen because of unrestrained anger can cost us our future. They can even cost us our freedom because they lead to legal consequences. So we're going back to the life of Samson, the judge, again today. We're going to look at his life again and see the role that unrestrained anger played in his life. We're going to look at what unrestrained anger looks like. As we do so, we are going to come away with tools and hope as we seek to restrain unrestrained anger in our own lives. And I don't know about you, but this feels incredibly important and personal to me because like many of us, I struggle with anger. Many of us struggle with anger. So we need some tools. We need some hope. We need some help. Let's pray and ask God to show us today. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word now, we pray asking that you would make truth known to us. God, would you show us the truth would you show us the truth about ourselves? And God, would you help us to unpack that truth in life-giving ways? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, as we discover in the scripture, Samson's unrestrained anger, if you will, exploded. We find it multiple times in Judges chapter 15. You read just a few verses of Judges chapter 15 today, but if you were to read the whole thing, you would find that Samson's anger led to him releasing 300 terror foxes, shall we say, on the Philistines. If you remember from last week, you'll remember that Samson fell in love with a Philistine woman and sought to make her his wife. But the wedding feast fell apart because his betrothed shared a secret with his guests that Samson had shared with her in confidence. Samson felt betrayed by her. And so he went home to his parents' house instead of going through with the wedding. It seems that when he got there, Samson cooled down though. And somehow he expected that the woman that he had left at the altar, so to speak, would still want to be with him. And so he went back to her home, expecting that he would be allowed to spend time with her and perhaps go through with the wedding. But her father met him at the door and made it clear that there had been a misunderstanding. And in this misunderstanding, the potential father-in-law had instead given his oldest daughter to one of Samson's drinking buddies to be his wife. Now, 
As a consolation prize, he offered to give Samson his younger daughter, and he said, she's prettier anyway. But Samson was understandably angry, and he said this would be his opportunity to take his anger out on the Philistines. And so he did what anybody would do. He caught 300 foxes. Because it turns out it was fox mating season and he could. And he tied them together in pairs by the tail because that made sense. And he put a lit torch between their tails. Now, this is brilliant tactics when you get down to it. It was wheat season. And he released these 150 pairs of foxes with these torches into the wheat fields. And they burned the wheat harvest to the ground. They burned the wheat that was in the fields. The fire burned the wheat that had already been harvested. And the fire burned the olive orchards as well. The devastation was intense. Samson's anger exploded. But the consequences of his anger would continue to spiral out of control. In rage, Samson then crippled many Philistine men. You see, agriculture was the basis of the entire Philistine economy. And so there were going to be consequences for what Samson did. Businesses were going to struggle and fail. People would be hungry. And so the Philistines, in their anger, launched an investigation. When they discovered that Samson was responsible for what had happened, they held Samson's would-be father-in-law and his family responsible for the disaster. They went to his potential father-in-law's home. They burned the house to the ground with the entire family inside it. Samson was furious And in his fury, Samson went and unleashed his strength on the Philistines. The Hebrew here is unclear of what exactly he did, but it implies that he crippled many Philistine men. Now, ironically, Samson was ready to let this feud go at this point. He retreated back to Israel, to the land of Judah, to the wilderness, and camped out by a rock waiting to see what had happened. But Samson's rage had exploded now, and the consequences were going to continue to mount and spiral out of control. Ultimately, Samson's vengeance, his fury, left a thousand Philistine warriors dead. The Philistines, recognizing what Samson had done, came to the land of Israel seeking him. The Philistines announced when they arrived in Judah that they were there to do to Samson what Samson had done to them. That's Philistine justice. That's pagan justice, and that's pagan anger. Now, ironically, the people of Judah wanted peace with the Philistines so much that they decided to hand over their would-be judge and deliverer to their oppressors. The men of Judah sent 3,000 troops out into the wilderness to apprehend Samson. They made it clear that they were there not to kill him, but to take him into custody. And recognizing that they were there simply to take him into custody, Samson allowed them to bind him and put new ropes on his wrists. And that's when we come now to Judges chapter 15, verses 14 through 17. When Samson came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it 
and with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramath-Lehi. So when Samson was brought in custody of the Philistines, they were already celebrating and shouting. But then the Bible tells us that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and the new ropes just melted off of his hands. Samson reached for a weapon. He got the jawbone of a freshly dead donkey, and he used that jawbone to kill a thousand Philistine men. And at the end, because his fury had gotten out of control, there was a mountain of dead bodies left in his wake. So look at now the trail of destruction behind Samson. There's a pile of bodies, Israelite and Philistine. The relationship between the Philistines and the Israelites has begun to crumble. And we have seen that the character of Samson is, I will do to you what you have done to me. He has got a pagan ethic at his heart. But that's what happens when anger gets out of control. His anger has been out of control, and it could have done constructive things, but it did destructive things instead. And that's what happens with unrestrained anger. It explodes in destructive ways. And so we want to ask today, what can we do? And I want to suggest in the text there are three ways to restrain our unrestrained anger. Three ways to restrain our unrestrained anger. And the first is look under the surface to understand your anger. First is look under the surface to understand your anger. Anger, you see, is energy to act. Anger is a universal human emotion. We all feel it, and it has a purpose. It is given to us to create energy in order to accomplish something. You see, when we get angry, hormones are released into our bodies. And when those hormones are released, our heart rate goes up, our blood pressure goes up, our, our energy levels go up instantly. We are prepared to act. Now, if you've ever been angry, and you have, Anger comes along with signs and behaviors. We scowl when we get angry. We frown when we get angry. We glare when we get angry. We puff up when we get angry. We lean in. We start to, to sweat. If you're watching carefully, you'll see people frequently will tighten their fists and clench their jaw, and we start talking louder when we get angry. There are signs and behaviors that come along with being angry. Not only that, but anger comes in varying tend, uh, intensities. It's not all the same. You see, anger can start with a mild annoyance, but then pretty quickly it builds into frustration and exasperation. And as anger continues to build into different kinds of intensities, what we find is it reaches bitterness, and it reaches fury and vengeance. Anger comes in all kinds of intensities, and some of those intensities leave us not completely in control. You see, when it comes to anger, anger is something that, that looks a little bit and functions a little bit like an iceberg. 
An iceberg is something that we see a little bit of above water, but we recognize that most of an iceberg is underwater. And the same thing is true of our anger. We see that anger response. That's the part of anger that is above water. But underneath the water, so much else is going on. Underneath the water are other things that we're feeling like frustration or grief or even things as simple and biological as exhaustion and hunger. When we are angry and we see that anger above the surface, there is so much more going on underneath the surface. Samson was completely unaware of all the things that were going on underneath the surface of his own anger. Samson was completely unaware of the fact that his anger, the thing that was above the surface, was driven driven by grief and frustration and disappointment and fear and loss. Not only that, but Samson seems to be unaware of the fact that his anger has become something that is unrighteous and unproductive and that he's out of control of. His anger has taken the flavors of bitterness and fury and vengeance. He's not in control. And that fact that he's not in control is seen in his actions, the signs. He is engaging in violence, and Samson is completely unaware of what's going on under the surface in his anger. And that's what leads him to these destructive decisions with life-altering consequences for many. And so if we are to restrain our unrestrained anger, we have to look under the surface of our anger. We have to look under the surface of our anger. We have to look at what signs we are projecting outward. Because you know, if we are screaming, we are out of control. We have to ask, what what intensity is my anger really taking? Is it simply anger? Is it simply frustration? Has it grown into exasperation? Is it ready for confrontation? Am I at the point of fury? Because when we reach bitterness and vengeance and fury, we are not in control. And we have to ask, what is it that's going on down there emotionally that's making me angry right now? Because until we understand what's making us angry, that anger is only going to build and become destructive. And so if we want to restrain our unrestrained anger, we have to begin by looking under the surface. Secondly, if we're to restrain our unrestrained anger, we need to expect our anger to accomplish its purpose. Expect your anger to accomplish its purpose. You see, God experiences righteous anger. It's called wrath. And God's righteous anger, wrath, has a purpose. Wrath is God's righteous and just response of condemning moral evil. And God experiences it. Nahum chapter 1, verse 2 in the Old Testament says, The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps keeps wrath for his enemies. Then in the New Testament, we find as well, Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed against, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God has wrath, and that wrath has a purpose. And you say, well, wait a minute now. God is love. My God is love, and my God would never have wrath toward anything or anyone. But remember the consequences of moral evil. Moral evil entering the world 
led to the brokenness of the world and to the brokenness of everything in the world. Moral evil is responsible for all the suffering and destruction and injustice and unrighteousness in the world. It has profound consequences. To leave moral evil to its own devices would be unjust, unrighteous, unholy, and unfair. Instead, the Bible says that God's wrath is poured out on Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we, we read that God put all of human sin, our sin, on Jesus. For our sake, Paul writes, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God put our sin on Jesus. Then in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, we read this, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. To be the propitiation for our sin, the propitiating sacrifice, means that God has, in part it means, that God has poured out his wrath on Jesus and judged our sin in Jesus. He's poured out his wrath on Jesus for us. That's love. That's love. And that means that righteous anger has a purpose. God's righteous anger has a purpose. The same thing is true of us. Righteous human anger even has a purpose. Because you see, righteous human anger is given to us to give us the energy and the strength to confront moral evil. When we see Injustice, righteous anger gives us the strength to confront it with justice. When we see unrighteousness, righteous anger gives us the strength to confront unrighteousness with righteousness. Righteous anger gives us the the strength to mend broken relationships and to bring reconciliation between people. Righteous human anger has a purpose. In fact, Righteous human anger had a purpose in Samson. God was stoking Samson's righteous anger for a reason. You see, the people of Israel were suffering under oppression by the Philistines. And the people of Israel were comfortable living with the Philistines, doing business with the Philistines, marrying the Philistines, worshiping alongside of the Philistines, becoming Philistines in every way. Samson was comfortable with that as well. God was stoking Samson's righteous anger to help him realize that his people were being oppressed. God wanted Samson to rise up and call his people to faithfulness and call them to resist their oppressors. That's what righteous anger was supposed to do in Samson. But instead, Samson missed that purpose. And instead of channeling his righteous anger in constructive ways, his anger became unrighteous, out of control, and destructive in every kind of way. But most human anger is unrighteous and out of control. Because most of our anger comes out of selfishness and our own brokenness. And most of the time, our anger changes into those more intense kinds of anger that are completely not controllable in our lives. And most of our anger is channeled not for constructive ends, but for destructive ends. So to restrain our unrestrained anger, we have to expect our anger to accomplish its purpose. 
We have to ask, what is the purpose behind the anger that I'm feeling right now? We have to be willing to admit when the purpose behind our anger is self-centered and broken. And we have to be willing to hold our, our anger accountable for fulfilling the purpose that God has given it to us for. We have to expect our anger to accomplish its purpose. So we look under the surface to understand our anger. We expect our anger to accomplish its purpose. And three, we lengthen the fuse on the bomb of our anger. We lengthen the fuse on the bomb of our anger. You see, the Bible tells us over and over again that we must do something about our unrestrained anger. The Proverbs say over and over again that Unrestrained anger is going to lead to destructive consequences in our lives. For instance, in Proverbs 14, verse 17, we read, A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. In the New Testament, we read that anger is not the kind of thing that's supposed to be out of control in a believer's life, that it can even be the work of the flesh. And then in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, we read, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Unrestrained anger leads to destructive decisions. It leads to life-altering consequences. Unrestrained anger leads us to moral failure. So we need to lengthen the fuse on the bomb of our anger. William Bickford reminds us of that fact. William Bickford lived in the Cornwall region of England during the early 19th century. Cornwall was known for mining in that time. And that meant that people were digging into rock and ground looking for ore. And when they did, that meant that they were exploding things to get to the ore. They would take gunpowder, set charges, and they would ignite those charges to blow up the rock to get to the ore. It wasn't very safe at all. Bickford recognized how unsafe it was and recognized that they needed something to give them more time, a predictable amount of time between lighting a fuse and an explosion happening. And so Bickford designed a fuse. It consisted of multiple strings wrapped around a yarn infused with gunpowder. It meant that when they lit a fuse and they knew how long the fuse was, the miners would know the distance and the time between lighting the fuse and the explosion. And it led to a great advance in mining safety. Today, the successor to Bickford's fuse is made at the Dino Nobel facility in Simsbury, Connecticut, just so you know. But what Bickford reminds us is that we need a longer predictable fuse on the bomb of our anger because that longer predictable fuse gives us an opportunity to make a decision. What gives us a longer predictable fuse to make a decision about our anger? Well, there's so much wise stuff written about how we can lengthen the fuse on the bomb of our anger, but it comes down to some very simple things for us as Christ followers. First is we keep Sabbath 
We keep Sabbath. God commands us to work six days and rest on one day. Why? Because we get exhausted if we break that rhythm. God has made us to work six days and worship and rest on one day. And when we break that rhythm, we get exhausted and exhaustion leads to anger. We have to keep Sabbath. In addition, we have to keep our spiritual disciplines, disciplines like studying the Bible and praying and and joining Christian community and worshiping. Why? Because those spiritual disciplines remind us of who God is and who we are, what God wants from us and what God wants for us. And when we are spiritually healthy, that contributes to our emotional health as well. In addition, we have to keep ourselves physically healthy, which means doing things. This is basic stuff, right? Sleep, eat healthy, drink lots of water, exercise, get a hobby. Because when we are physically healthy, it contributes to our emotional health as well. There are certain practices that can lengthen the fuse on the bomb of our anger, and they're out there and they're written about. But as followers of Jesus, there is something that we know that others do not know that can lengthen the fuse on the bomb of our anger. And it is that the people with whom we are angry are not the objects of wrath that we think they are. You see, in our anger, we designate the person that we are angry with as a sinner, as an object deserving of God's wrath and therefore an object deserving of our wrath. And when our anger begins to escalate to bitterness, vengeance, and fury, we count ourselves as the hands of God's righteous vengeance on another person. Don't we? But that means that we forget the fact that we were first the objects of wrath that we, too, are sinners, deserving of God's wrath. And we forget that God poured that wrath out, not on us, but on Jesus. That Jesus died to pay the price for our sin. Jesus absorbed God's wrath that was rightly directed at us. And we are now declared righteous, not because we are righteous on our own, but because Jesus is righteous and we are forgiven. And when we remember that we are forgiven, then how can we not forgive others? When we remember that we too are rightly objects of wrath. It helps us to lengthen the fuse on the bomb of our anger. How are we to deal with our unrestrained anger? Let's go under the surface and see what's really going on down there. Let's expect our anger to accomplish the purposes that God gave it to us for. Let's do everything that we can to lengthen the fuse on the bomb of our anger. And then let's avoid destructive decisions, life-altering consequences, and moral failures. Let's restrain our anger. (laughs) 
thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.